1: Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, writer and analyst at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. On today's show, we're going to take a quick look at the division leaders all around the majors. We're going to look at the interesting things the Houston Astros are doing. We're going to talk about the record Yoan Moncada is trying to break and Jacob deGrom's new approach. Before, as always, we each pick a guy you should know more about and rant and rave. And I've got a good rant. I'm very excited about my rant. Before we get to our opening topic, there were two quick things i wanted to point out the first thing is you may or may not have heard there's a big discussion in baseball these days about sticky substances we'll get to that later on but the most prominent name at the moment i think is garrett cole being called out by josh donaldson and last night garrett cole threw his fastball 98.2 miles an hour the hardest he has ever thrown it against the twins which i found deeply funny just in the sense of has nothing to do with substances he got called out Here's 98 miles an hour that I'm gonna strike you out. I don't know Matt if you watched the game at all, but I I just watched that and uh, it made me laugh. I, I enjoyed that. Well, it was also it was it was it was
2: appropriate because it was against the Twins and against Donaldson and yeah. like so last week Donaldson like calls Garrett Cole out by name as like a person of interest in this whole thing, and then last night he tries to kind of walk it back. He's like. I didn't mean to call out Garrett Cole.
1: I didn't mean to make him the center of this. He was just the first guy that came to mind. It's like, uh, nice try, buddy. Yeah, we'll get back to that. One other quick thing I wanted to point out, and this is not worthy of its own topic because it's just like, here's a fascinating stat that I don't have anything else to add on. Uh, If you remember, like, what, three years ago, I guess, One of the trades that will go down in history is one of the most infamous trades was when the Rays sent Chris Archer to Pittsburgh, and the Rays got back Tyler Glasnow, who's awesome, and Austin Meadows, who is crushing the ball, and Archer wasn't very good, and now he's actually back with the Rays. What people forget is that there was actually another player in that trade. The Rays also got a pitching prospect whose name is Shane Boz. And he was in the low minors and obviously didn't get to play last year. And I just wanted to point out quickly what he is doing right now. He's at double A Montgomery for the Rays. He turns 22 years old next week, 32 innings pitched, 49 strikeouts, and two walks. So if you think the story on that trade is fully written, I can promise you it can still get worse for Pirates fans. I have nowhere to go from that. I, just saw that number and I'm like, I need everybody to know about this because, hey, he's at double A. I mean, I don't know. Is he going to come up this year? Maybe next year. What if he's closing out games? to bring him up as a reliever in the playoffs this year. What if Archer starts a game and Boz comes in behind him? Right? There's so much more to this. It's not over yet. <laughs> that's it. That's all I got on that. All right. We are at the roughly 60 game point of the uh, schedule and that's where everything ended last year. And what we want to do is just kind of take a quick look around each division because, you know, we're a little more than a third of the way through the season and, you know, things are getting real. You know, the the twins have probably dug themselves a hole that they will not be coming out of, right? And you've got some teams in other divisions where it's like, yeah, that makes sense. And you got a lot of close races. You look at the six divisions right now, uh, five of them, the division leader is up by no more than three and a half games. And the, the sixth one is the American League Central where the White Sox are only up by four games. No one is running away with this. Everything is tight which means within the space of two weeks, potentially, you could see all six divisions having different division leaders. So to start off today, Matt and I are going to take a quick spin around each division and look at who is leading and just kind of make our, our predictions, like will that team end up at the top of the, uh, the leaderboard? So we're going to start, let's do the National League East. Uh, the Mets have a three and a half game lead over the Braves, or I should say a collection of guys in Mets uniforms. Did you see who started in the outfield yesterday? Ke- Kevin Pillar uh Billy McKinney and I'm going to be totally honest with you here I saw Williams was in the outfield and I had to stop and think about this for a while and then it turned out it was Mason Williams who I believe was a former Yankee prospect at some point that is definitely a collection of dudes and they crushed the Orioles Billy
2: McKinney's actually been playing pretty well he's he's uh he's got some like He's got, uh, he's a pretty good defender and he's got some pop and he's kind of been able to hit some, I think he's hit four home runs since joining the Mets. So they've caught a little bit of a lightning in the bottle. They got him in a minor trade. This was right after you, you'd written that piece of like, here's who the Mets should trade, trade for. And they basically made a trade, but it was just for like a random 4A guy. And that was Billy McKinney, who and they've, they've caught, they've they've got him on a hot streak. So that's actually kind of worked out pretty well. They uh, pretty wor- worked out well for him in the short term.
1: Is this the worst division of baseball? Like we thought it would be one of the most competitive divisions in baseball. And so I picked the Marlins in last and they're in last. And I picked the Nationals in fourth and they're in fourth. The Phillies just look terrible. They just look like a bad baseball team. You know, they're only two games under 500 and they've got some stars. Sure. But they just, they look like they have forgotten how to field run hit all of it. The Braves are only three and a half games out, but they're just, they've been wrecked by injuries uh Ozuna obviously got arrested for domestic violence and suspended, and I would be shocked if we see him again at any point in the near future. Uh, they the Braves are in trouble to me, and um I hate to count on the Mets, especially because everything <laughs> they've been so injured. Uh Pete Alonso is out there with like tinfoil hat conspiracy theories. The Mets are always like deeply interesting to me. I, I hate to rely on them. That's the thing, but I feel like I'm uh, team Mets, I guess. <laughs> Um, well, there's a couple of
2: things, right? The, the one thing about the Mets is that because of all the rainouts um, and having their opening series uh, uh, postponed because of, uh, I guess it, was, like, it seems so, it seems so Wa- long. Wasn't ago. it Washington COVID? Yes, yeah. because of Washington COVID, they've played far fewer games than everyone else in their division, and that's in actuality. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know how you were raised, Mike, but one of like the the one i one of the tenants that I was raised by by my father that is like has stuck with me is that. All I, should, all I look at is the loss column you can't make up wins I mean you can't make up losses so only look at the lost column because that's really what matters and it's relevant here because the Mets are actually six games up in the lost column so I actually think their their lead at least in my impersonation and impression sorry is a little bigger than it appears um, also coupled with the fact that they've been managed to do this with half their team injured that said they're about to play 33 games in 31 days. And Carlos Carras- they kind of assumed by this point, Carlos Carrasco and maybe Noah Syndergaard would be able to pitch in at some point during this stretch. That appears like it is not going to happen. So the pitching depth is going to be extremely tested during this stretch. And I think we will know a lot more after this stretch of 31 days of where things stand. If they are still up by six games in the lost column, um, I will feel very strongly about the, um, the Mets uh, – winning uh, this division. But they've got a four-game series with the Braves coming up, which also could swing things. So I think Mets, just because I think they're probably – the roster is going to get better. Even if they don't get Carrasco and Syndergaard back soon, they are going to get Jeff McNeil back soon and then Conforto um, and even like Luis Guillerme and maybe even Brandon Nimmo, and then maybe Brandon Nimmo and J.D. Davis at some point. So like their roster will improve um, and I bet you they will make in- in-season additions.
1: So like, yes, I think so. I am going to give you a good news, bad news on the Mets. So the good news is I agree with you. Everything you said about the roster getting healthier. Um, the the bad news is, as you kind of touched on, so no, no expectations for Carrasco, right? Syndergaard, who knows? When you look at the rotation, um, DeGrom we'll talk about in a minute. It's obviously been phenomenal, right? David Peterson looks terrible. I don't trust Joey Lucchese. And I do like both Taiwan Walker and Marcus Stroman, but I also think you know they're maybe overperforming a little bit. Like I don't, I don't think the underlying metrics quite support how good they are. You know what I mean? Um, that's not to say like they're going to be bad or anything like that. I just I'm worried about the middle to back of that rotation, and I'm not sure what they do to fix that. But I think we're in agreement, right? We are both going with the Mets and famous last words, when has anyone ever (laughs) predicted the Mets to do well and then had it blow up in their face? Couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. Uh, The most exciting division to me, I think, uh, maybe not exciting, let's say interesting, is the National League Central, which... I guess in one sense has kind of gone as expected in that the pirates are like way back and the other four teams are all sort of in a jumble. You know, Cubs are leading right now. We're recording this on Thursday morning, by the way, there are four teams within four and a half games. Cubs are first Brewers are a half game back Cardinals in third Reds and fourth. And I picked the uh, Brewers to win this division. You picked the Reds, didn't you? I think that's I did. Right. Yeah. See, I, Hey, I pay attention to what you say every now and then. The Cubs have been fascinating. We talked about them a lot last week. Uh, I don't trust the rotation at all. The bullpen's been spectacular. Some of the the guys in the lineup have really had nice comebacks. Um, Bryant looks great. Patrick Wisdom is still hitting. I'm really digging that. But I'm still going to go with the Brewers because that Brewers pitching staff, which is kind of what we talked about before the season, is ridiculous. Like Jacob DeGrom is so good. He's so good. And I feel like I can argue that Corbin Burns is on the same level as him, right? Brandon Woodruff could be a Cy Young contender. He is not the best pitcher on his own staff. And oh yeah, Freddie Peralta uh, has 92 strikeouts and 64 innings. You know, this pitching staff is also Josh Hader and Devin Williams. Um, if they can just find like one guy who can hit, you know, I like they traded for Willie Peralta. I like that. Maybe Jackie Bradley will wake up. Maybe not. Uh, I don't feel great about anybody. I'm sticking with the Brewers because... Now with Jack Flaherty out, I don't trust the Cardinals like at all.
2: Yeah, I really, I, I really. mean, the 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 Reds have been playing well again, so I really want to be excited about my pick of like, hey, they can do it. They've won seven of ten. But of course, in like you know, Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker have both been incredible. But now, Sonny Gray goes on the IL, and it's just like it's like it's you know, it's it feels like one step forward, one step back. So I think I'm 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 worried. I'm just I'm just worried about the Brewers. Offense, because I don't know if we're ever going to see the old Christian Yelich again. Like I'm no, like I'm not saying we won't, but um, it's now been. It's you know, it's again, this is one of those tough ones because 2019 was the shortened season, and it's like, but it's been like a while since we've seen like you know the MVP level. It's been since 2019, right? And we haven't really seen that guy yet, and the underlying metrics are still pretty good but they're not like what you were what you saw in 2018 2019 and without like peak level uh yelich it's just i think i'm I'm sticking with the cubs i still think i think the cubs Cubs have enough of of um you know high level talent and i wouldn't be surprised if they do make i mean we joke about them trading away you know they could use a pitcher like you darvish but like i think they will make some sort of deal to, to improve their their pitching staff so i'm gonna stick with the cubs
1: how about this? This is what they have done, is um, I think we can all stop talking about whether they'll trade Chris Bright, right? Correct. Like they they could not possibly do that. This unless they like totally, you know, collapse over the next month or so, which I guess is possible. Here, I'm gonna stick with the Brewers, but I um I'm trying quickly to look this up. Okay. So the Cubs end their season against the Cardinals and the Pirates. That's not as interesting as I'd hoped it would be, but this division is gonna come down to the, the very very end of the season like i think we're going to be on you know september 29th or whatever it is and saying um i wonder who's gonna win this division okay the brewers end with See the Brewers have a fun schedule they, starting September seventeenth, uh, three at the Cubs, four with the Cardinals, three versus the Mets, and three more with the Cardinals. That's going to be fun. That, that I, I look, I look forward to that. That's going to be great. Okay, NL West. Believe it or not, the Giants are still on top, of, still, <laughs> and you know they're up by two over the Dodgers and they're up by two and a half over the Padres, and the other two teams are irrelevant mostly. Um, I, you know, have said this multiple times, like. Pretty high in the Giants coming in, you know. Didn't think it would translate into wins and losses. I still don't trust them to hold up over those other two teams over the course of a six-month season. Um, but let me throw this at you: We had looked at the East and said, okay, four competitive teams, maybe five if you like the Marlins. We looked at the Central and we said four competitive teams. And I think a lot of people thought that the first wild card would come out of the West, probably the Padres, and the second wild card would come out of one of the other two divisions. It's not out of the question that all that both wild cards are in the West, right? Like that's I think what it would be right now if the season ended. You know, let's hypothetically say the Dodgers win the division, uh, Giants, Padres in the wild card. That would be fun. Yeah, no, I think if you go if you go
2: by if you go by like you know the FanGraphs playoff odds, that is the even now that, that that's like the the projection is the Giants and the Padres are the um, are the wild card teams. I mean, the Giants have, you know are out to have, have build a I don't know if cushion is the right word, but they definitely you know. Are out front of not just their division, but also in the in the wild card chase. I I do worry about the depth at this point. I still think they're pro- they're in a great position to make the wild card, but I'm I'm not going to change my feeling that it will end- eventually be the Dodgers. They're just too the the depth they have, and when you see all the injuries across baseball. Like just the depth they have, I think will um, not to, the combination of depth and high end talent will kind of eventually allow them to to pull away unfortunately we, i don't think we're going to see them challenge 116 wins as it looked like we might uh about two weeks into the season but um I, i'm not gonna you
1: know i'll stay with dodgers i was watching the giants game yesterday they were playing texas and they had back-to-back home runs from jason vosler and chadwick trump and <laughs> those are not exactly household names so they're doing a good job at uh getting production from unexpected places. I agree with you, by the way, on the West. All right, let's go to the East, uh, the American League East. The Rays are up by one and a half over Boston. The Yankees are five and a half back. This is kind of fun. The Jays are in fourth place, six games out, but they're also three games over 500. This this is like the best, most competitive division, I think. Forget the Orioles for now. Um, the Yankees, as we read about, have not been able to hit, although I can't imagine that continues all season long. The Red Sox, they got off to this wild start. I think we dug deeply into the Rays last week, right? Saying like everybody hated them for the Snell trade, but actually they're really good. And I'm still I'm in on the Jays. Like Robbie Ray is throwing strikes now. Well, it was just like, hey, um, what if you threw strikes? And he said, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go do that. And he looks amazing. He was throwing his slider at like 91 the other day. And, you know, Vlad Jr. might win MVP. And, you know, George Springer presumably will play at some point, you know, they're, they're in fourth place and actually like I'm pretty in on the Jays. I think I'm going to stick with the Rays, but I have, a, I have not a great deal of confidence in this, to be honest with you. The
2: biggest reason for the Rays is sort of almost like, you know, we you, you mentioned Sh- Shane Baz and they also have Wanda Franco in the minors. Like they have like guys who could come up and really improve their roster. Obviously, anytime you call up a prospect, there's still a little bit of like a – uh, unknown. You know, a lot of guys struggle because it's really tough to go from triple eight or, or double eight to the majors. So um, you can assume that they're going to hit the ground running like you know, the likes of, you know, Acuna and Soto did. But the cushion they have on the Yankees is is real. I I, I sort of think the Yankees will end up passing the Sox. Um, although, of course, Chris Sale is another huge X factor. It's like, is he going to give the Red Sox anything? And like, could he, you know, even if it's as like a you know they say it wouldn't be they they're, they're going to use him as a starter and not as a reliever but maybe it could be in sort of like a, a long man stopper role which he did do early in his career um I th- if it was a little closer I'd say the Yankees um but the Rays are good enough that even now like you said like, you have f- five games like five games is actually when you, when you're talking about you know true talent levels and like it's hard to make up five games when you're not like obviously better than the team in front of you and I don't think the Yankees are obviously better. Than the Rays, but I do think it's going to be close.
1: Uh, I agree with you, but I'm going to stick with the Rays. This one's going to be a lot of fun to watch. If we go to the Central, I think this is the one that I am the most confident in. The White Sox are up by four games over Cleveland. Uh, the, the Twins are thirteen games out. They look a wreck. Like I kept thinking, that's oh, a slow start. They'll get Buxton back. The hitting's actually been pretty good, but the pitching staff is they're they're done. I don't think they can come back. Right? Detroit's not great. I was never in on Kansas City and they're seven and a half games out. Cleveland, I'm moderately impressed that they have played this well. And as expected, their offense has been, Jose Ramirez is really good. Fran Mel Reyes has been pretty good. And that's like it, pretty much. Um, What's surprising to me about Cleveland is they have had, due to injuries, something like a two-man rotation (laughs) recently. (laughs) Like Shane Bieber's been great. Aaron Savali's been pretty good. Um, If you look at like, who has started their last couple of games? Uh, it's been Jean Carlos Mejia, uh, Cal Quantrill is in there, Tristan McKenzie every now and then, Sam Henches, uh, Eli Morgan. I can be honest and say I did not know all those names like two weeks ago. You know, and they'll get healthy, but not healthy enough because I just I don't think that they can hit. And um, for all of the things we've said about Tony Larissa, the White Sox are a really good team. I will note, that ever since he called out your mean Mercedes, your means hitting like one eighty. So there's that. But uh, no, the, listen. I, Lance Land looks amazing, right? Giulio's good. Keiko's good. has looked good. C- Carlos Verdone throws like hundred down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Right. Um, I'm in on the White Sox. Like this, this team is legit.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm. You know, I've, I've been high in the White Sox for a while, so it's good to see them kind of living up to that. And it's you know, in some ways, it's like they they could be in a position where also they. Have a cushion and then coming down the stretch, will they get anything out of Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert going into the playoffs and they could actually get like an internal boost just from like the IL that can make them way more dangerous uh, in October.
1: You know what? I what a reputation I've cultivated for myself is that over the weekend um, we went to like a one year old's birthday party. I think it was on Sunday, and so I, I was not watching baseball that day. I was chasing my kids around the park, and it was wonderful. And so, being totally uh, you know blacked out from what was happening with baseball, uh, at a certain point in the day, I received like three different text messages about. What was that bunt? Did you see that bunt? Why did they bunt? And it was after Derek Holland had let like four straight guys on, and then um, they had—I think it was Danny Mendick—bunt, and it was—it uh, went poorly, and they lost the game. So I appreciate that my baseball friends think of me in, <laughs> in that way. Uh, and then the West—this one's fun too. I mean, all the races are really fun, actually. Oakland's up by one over houston uh seattle the angels and texas none of them really have a chance um although have you noticed the angels have been winning games since mike trout i know it's really um you know i I can't say i've paid much attention to anything bill simmons has done in a long time but it's fun to go back to the ewing theory because that's sort of what's happening
2: here don't get me started on the ewing theory Mike. we can go on a real tangent here so let's let's stay on baseball
1: I, I don't want to dig in too deeply into the Astros because that's like our whole next topic here. But I'm in on the Astros. I like Oakland. I like what they're doing a lot. I'm, I'm super in on the Astros and we're going to talk about them in a minute. So I'm going to cede this time to you, American League West. I'm a little torn
2: on this one because I think like it's it's a little bit of a TBD. Because I, I think like the most A's move possible, I think, is for them to trade for Trevor Story at the deadline. Um, it's just like a peak A's move. They've done this before time and again where there's like, you know what? Like we're in it. We're going to trade for a star. We have no intention of resigning because like he fits a need for us right now and he's going to make us a lot better and it's probably not going to cost us that much, right? Like because it's a rental and rentals generally don't cost that much these days. So um, this is one of those where without a big move, I'm taking the Astros, but I think the A's have a big move in them and uh i'm excited to see what they do but um cuz since we can't assume a big move i'll go with astros but man the a's are fun again it's cool to see Matt olson like being the hitter that he kind of looked like he could be a couple years ago um you know his 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 k's are way down he's really controlling the strike zone um selecting 571 uh, it's it, they like and also like I, and again I, I can never pronounce is it Kana or kana
1: Well, Marquette, I was going to say it's it's so objective to say uh, or subjective, excuse me, to say, like, who's the most underrated player in baseball, but it's got to be him, right? This is like his fourth straight year of uh, of being an above average hitter, like over the last four years. He has a 134 OPS plus, and he plays like four different spots. I'm a huge fan of Mercado,
2: and he he's one of the best bat flippers in the league. He should be more famous. Like there's, it's it's sort of shocking <laughs> that he's he's not.
1: So, um, uh, when are we going to get him on the list of like best all time Rule Five guys with Roberto Clemente and Johan Santana? Uh, we 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 may
2: have to we 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 uh, we may have to. Um, we may have to uh, to do that. Uh, I may do it right after after we finish recording. On it, I'm sure we have like an evergreen story about best rule five picks. So I may have to get that updated um, right after we uh, right after we record. All
1: right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back,
0: and we are going to talk about the Astros because they are fascinating. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like "I lost my mojo," or we avoid it altogether with excuses like. I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's getroman.com slash MLB. Getroman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions Podcast.
1: Mike Petrello and Matt Myers. Our first topic of our three batter minimum is look at all the interesting things that the Astros are doing. They are one game out of first place in the West, but after starting the season eight and ten uh, since April 22nd, they have the third best record. In baseball and i i have to admit i find this team fascinating and let me preface this i'm aware that they're the villains of baseball i understand <laughs> some people 50 years from now we'll look at the players on the astros then who haven't been born yet now and will hate those guys like totally understood i am not trying to overlook that um but also dusty baker's team is pretty fun like they're the best hitting team in baseball right now kind of by a lot they have the most runs scored They have the best weighted runs created plus at 121, where 100 is league average, and it's the best by a lot. The White Sox are at 112, and that's with two lineup spots being like total black holes. Uh, Martin Maldonado is a respected defensive catcher. He has not hit even a little bit. Miles Straw, their starting center fielder, has not hit at all. I I can't think of a a bigger team need than somebody going out and trading the Astros a center fielder, and I don't know who that's going to be. Now, there's a couple of, of fun things I wanted to get into here. And the first one uh, was actually noted by our friend and colleague, Andrew Simon. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about it because I find it absolutely fascinating. So the Astros, um, have the, as an offense, have the lowest strikeout rate in baseball this year. And in fact, if you go back to 2017, 150 team seasons, the three lowest strikeout seasons are Astros 2017, Astros this year, and Astros 2019. Now, this is the part that Andrew passed along, which I, I think is cool. So they have a an 18% strikeout rate. The Major League average is 24% strikeout rate. And if you go back throughout history, you can't just compare raw strikeout rates cuz you know, teams 80 years ago probably struck out like 6% of the time or whatever. But if you compare it to the average for that year, you get an indexed stat. 100 is average for that year. So this year, they have a 76 strikeout rate plus. Think about it like 24% better than average, right? Second best ever, only behind the 1986 Red Sox, which is really interesting to me. It's not a loaded topic at all that the Astros hitters aren't striking out, right? Like no one's going to no one's going to have thoughts about this. Um I want to pat myself on the back a little bit if you go back to the winter of 2017-18, both myself and uh actually 16-17, I can't remember now. Whatever. Both myself and Jeff Sullivan who was writing a Fangress at the time, uh, predicted that they would not strike out as much simply because they'd gotten rid of like, you know, Chris Carter uh, and they'd imported other guys who like some of that was predictable. I understand all the other garbage, totally understand. But it helps when you have Michael Brantley. You know, it helps when you don't have Chris Carter. The fact that they make this kind of historically good contact and continue to do so, it's like it's a really interesting story that nobody wants to think about because of everything that comes along with it.
2: And it's but if you look at the the, the hitters they have on their roster, it's like. It's they, they it's like they, I mean, they seek out these kinds of hitters, right? It's like it's a, it's an archetype. You know, the only guy they, the only, hit, the only like good hitter they have who fits the modern like mold of like big K's, you know, middling walk rates is, is Jordan Alvarez, who strikes out 25% of the time and has a 5% walk rate, right? But like all their other good hitters are like below league average in strikeout, right? You have Yuli Guriel, who strikes out, who actually walks more than he strikes out, which is really rare in this day and age. And then you have two guys who are, Low-key having really good seasons, Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman. You know, Altuve is basically back. Um, and as it turned out, like his 60-game season last year was kind of a fluke, as you wrote about in the offseason. He was good in the postseason. If you kind of include that, the arc of his year looks a whole lot better. Um, and we have the good Carlos Correa, right? Who's like picking a good time, being his free agent walkier to like have – to this point, a very good, healthy season. All these guys with well below average uh, strikeout rates. So it's like up and down the lineup. Like these are the players they they have like you know either drafted and developed or acquired who sort of fit this mold. And I don't think that that's an accident.
1: Yeah, I'm fascinated by Yuli Gurriel. Right? He's 37 years old, and last year he was terrible. And you kind of thought, okay, well you know 36 years old maybe it's the end of the line but they brought him back uh he's got a 406 on base and a 9% strikeout rate like he's been unbelievably good and this this might be the best offense in baseball or at least in the American League which i don't think people would have thought about you know, entering the season just cuz like you said some of the guys had down years last year but there's more to it right they're the third best in team in baseball if you like an outs above average behind Tampa Bay and San Francisco two teams that are also doing very well I wanted to talk about the pitching for a second. I think when people looked at the Astros pitching staff coming into the season, they thought, "Okay, Zach Greinke, cool. You know, he's he's older, but he's still really good. Oh, but Verlander's hurt and Cole's gone and Morton's gone and Keikel's gone and all these guys who had been like the part of the championship teams were gone. And if you look at some of these like lesser known names, right? So Luis Garcia Christian Javier, and Jose Urquidy, right? Most These are not household names, I don't think, in baseball. The three of them combined have a 316 ERA. That's just those three guys, right? Not including Granke, not including Jake Odorizzi, uh, Lance McCullers. Robert Valdez, who was like a big breakout guy for me, and then he got hurt, he's only allowed three runs in 18 innings Since he's come back, right? So that's seven starters we just named right there. Their their rotation is pretty good. You know, it's got the sixth lowest on base percentage allowed. The bullpen stinks. They need three or four more relievers. I wanted to just focus on two guys here. Ryan Presley seems like he's back. You know, twenty five strikeouts and five walks, and. I could have talked about Brooks Rayleigh in my like random guy you need to know about segment, but Matt always gives me a hard time about relievers, so I'm just kind of cramming him in here. Here's a quick 30-second overview of Brooks Rayleigh, who's 33 years old. You have no idea who this is. Why would you? Uh, He bounced, drafted by the Cubs in 2009, bounced through four different teams, spent five years in Korea, came back with the Reds last year, was traded to Houston. He has a 656 ERA, and you're immediately wondering, why am I talking about this guy? He has a 337 expected ERA. He has the lowest hard hit rate in baseball, and he's got an extra nine inches of break on his slider and eight on his curveball. I, I really find him interesting. And I just think the Astros get underrated. I think part of it is the bullpen is thin. I think part of it is people are just sick of the Astros in general because of everything that's happened over the last couple of years. Totally get that. I'd still like to see Dusty Baker win the ring.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's all the controversy. I mean, that's it. Like no one can. It's like hard to have a rational conversation Um about the Astros. And like, that's, that is kind of their own doing. Like they sort of, <laughs> they come by this um, honestly or dishonestly as it were, but like um, it's, it's kind of too bad because they are an interesting team and they have a lot of really fascinating players. You talked about their lineup, of maybe being the best lineup in some ways, I think what what's true about that is that maybe they're not the, the highest scoring lineup, but it feels like because of the, the fact that they don't strike out and, they're just like, they're tough. There are a lot of tough outs, right? There's not guys where it's like, Oh, you know, Jordan Alvarez is the kind of hitter. These like, you know, big power guy, but it's like, you can pitch to him. You know, there are holes in his, 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 in like in the zone that you can like, you can, you can exploit and you could pitch to him, but like, they don't really have, most teams have like four or five of those guys. They basically have one or two of those guys and like in the heart of their lineup, that's like one of the hardest, like stretch of like five or six hitters in baseball that you have to go through of, really good hitters who also don't really strike out so to that extent that's kind of why I think that they're the best they're, they're the 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 best offense
1: the funny thing is if not for everything that comes along with it uh there's a lot of people who would be celebrating that this team doesn't strike out right because <laughs> exactly. that's what everybody wants <laughs> exactly the, the, the last thing on this i just wanted to point this out so i was talking about the uh you know strikeout plus leaderboard right where it, comparing themselves to league average they're the second best strikeout team of all time if you go to the other end of that and you look at the teams who've struck out like way 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 more the league average for that year you know who's in the top four the 1927 yankees who struck out a ton why didn't they just put the ball in play more literally the 1927 yankees all right our second topic here back to the white Sox. yuan Montcada is Challenging one of the weirdest records in baseball history: um, batting average on balls in play. It's like a you know a top level analytic stat, and basically what it means is when you make contact with the ball and you don't hit a home run, what's your average on that? And the idea is that you know supposedly helps you get to whether you're finding good or bad luck, right? Are your batted balls finding holes? Are they finding gloves? It bounces around a bit. Like a hitter has some control over it based on the way he hits the ball, based on whether he's fast, based on whether he's shifted or not. But, you know, it it, it's, it fluctuates, you know? So two years ago in 2019, Yuan Moncada had this big breakout year. And part of the reason was he had a 406 batting average on balls in play, which at the time was one of the 10 highest seasons ever. And you're like, well, that's cool. It's probably a good luck season. I don't think he can do that again last year he didn't. You know, he was pretty open about the fact that he was affected by COVID and he wasn't strong and that 406 dropped to 315 and you kind of all thought okay, that was that was fun. You know what he's doing this year? 417. <laughs> he, he now has two of the 11 highest seasons ever and if you look at the all-time career leaders for batting average and balls in play, minimum of 1500 plate appearances, he is second. The first guy is Rogers Hornsby, who's a Hall of Famer. The third guy is Harry Heilman, who is kind of a forgotten Hall of Famer. He played with Ty Cobb and the Tigers back in the day. Number four is actually Ty Cobb. Number five is Rod, Car- Rod Carew, and also Yohan Moncada. So um, I know he hasn't played as long as those guys, and I know he strikes out more, so the, the profile and the shape are different. It, this is a skill now, right? This You don't fluke your way into that, I don't think. No, because I think, you know, batting average on balls in
2: play or BABIP is like, it's become such a focus of defense. It's like so much of like shifting is to try and reduce batting average on balls in play and basically force you to say like, hey, if you're going to, you know, beat our shift, you have to hit it over us or like, you know, really slug the ball in the gap or over the fence. But like, you're not going to, it's a lot harder to do the old, like, you know, uh, most hitters have like real tendencies, but like, if you are sort of hard to shift against, it's actually a skill, and it's something that like it's not easy to do. And it's it's I I, I don't like when I hear people be like oh he should just like spray the balls like it's not that easy. But the hitters who can do it, especially those who can do it with authority, like Moncada, that makes them special. And I think that's why he's I think he's one of the more interesting players hitters in the league for this reason.
1: Yeah. So I dug into like why, like how does he do it? Like he's fast, but he's he's not Billy Hamilton fast. He hits the ball hard, but he's not John Carlos Stanton. Um, what I think. I kind of started with the strikeouts here, because if you look at him compared to Rogers Hornsby, right? Rogers Hornsby only struck out 7% of the time in his career. Mankata is like 31%. So Hornsby uh, had like nearly 80% of his plate appearances ending with something in play, while Mankata is like 55%. It's a different sport, right? Like Hornsby didn't play at Naid or face integrated teams or fly or anything like that. Uh, but the the thing is like, A third of Moncada's plate appearances don't end up with something in play. So they don't even count here. And then he hits home runs. Those don't count either. But the other thing is, if you look at over the last five seasons, he has literally the lowest weak contact percentage in baseball. Like he will either miss it or he'll hit it hard. And you might not think that's like the best approach towards being a successful player. And maybe it's not. Maybe he could make more contact, but... If you want your balls that you hit to not find gloves, never hitting garbage baseballs is a pretty good way to do it. Like That's a good start. And then when I dug into it further, so he's a switch hitter, he's two different players entirely. Uh, Lefty Moncada, it's almost all earned, right? Like You look at expected batting average on balls in play based on quality of contact. Well, this is the third highest, and the outcomes are actually the highest. That's because only two lefties in the last five years have a higher line drive rate than him. Matt's boy, Luis Arise, and Freddie Freeman, who might be a Hall of Famer. So- Crushing line drives all the time is a good way to find base hits. Uh, righty Moncada is very different. He's actually only got the 93rd highest expected batting average, but the third highest actual batting average on balls in play. And that is because he has almost never shifted. He, well, as a righty, he's never shifted. As a lefty, he is because he does spray the ball over the place. It, it was kind of fun for me to dig through that and say um, he's one man, but two entirely different players. And the final thing I wanted to point out is over the last three years, he does not have the highest batting average in balls in play in baseball. He is second. To his teammate, Tim Anderson, the White Sox are super duper weird. <laughs> I want I want to take one
2: moment to pat myself on the back slightly um, because Yohan Mankana was my preseason AL MVP pick, thinking he could ride the like best player on a division winner to um, winning the award. Now I don't think he will win it be- at, at this moment because he's not hitting enough home runs. He only has five, and I think he probably need to get up to at least twenty, if not twenty five, to make a to make a case, but. American League leaders in war, per fan graphs, he is fourth. So there is a path for him to be best player on a division-winning team, but I do think he needs to have some sort of uh, boost in his home runs because right now Vlad Guerrero Jr. is probably has the inside track. But again, some voters won't vote for a team that finishes in fourth place, and the Blue Jays might finish in fourth place. So um, there is there, a path for, for Moncada to pull it off, and um, I obviously
1: want that to happen because I want to s- sound smart. I'm going to dispute you a little bit here. When you say he's fourth, uh, you're almost certainly looking at the batting leaderboards, which does not include the entirety of Shohei Otani's greatness, right? I mean, it's the top two are pretty clearly Otani and Vlad Jr. right now. Yeah, but I think I think I think that Otani's. I mean, I guess I guess to your
2: point, yes, Otani will suffer from the sa- potentially from the same uh, fate of being on a fourth place team, but he may have the like the shiny new again. I don't think he's going to win. But I do think he's going to be, he's at a very good path to being in um, a top five guy, which also would make me feel smart anyway. So uh, I'll take it.
1: Anything we can do to make you feel smart on the show would be good. All right. Our third topic, Jake DeGrom is obviously phenomenal. He's doing things a little differently. So uh, if you've paid any attention to baseball this year, you know, Jake DeGrom is just crushing people. 58 innings, 93 strikeouts, eight walks, four earned runs. He has a 0.62 ERA. We are not that far away from like, Seriously, needing to sit down and do the math and say, Will he top Bob Gibson's 112 ERA? Which is not actually the record. You know, there are lower ERAs from 100 years ago, but that's like the modern day record people care about. My favorite all time baseball stat Bob Gibson had a 112 ERA and lost nine games <laughs> in 1968. DeGrom has, uh, over his, his last three starts that he's made are his three hardest four seam fastball velocities of his career. His last two starts each averaged over 100 miles an hour. Averaged, not just like once. His last start, 100.4 miles per hour on average. And oh yes, he can throw it with pinpoint accuracy. And Matt, you had come up with something interesting. Because he's doing that, because his fastball is so deeply good, he's just basically become like a two and a half pitch pitcher because he can
2: yeah, I, I I had known he was going to be, he was throwing his fastball more because he's added like velocity again this year, um, which he seems to be doing every year. And then I was watching um, him pitch against the Padres last Saturday night, I guess it was. And it was like, you know, I'd always thought DeGrom, I, I was always a big fan of his changeup. I just like, it's a, just a very well-executed pitch that often made hitters look completely foolish. And I was like, He's not really throwing his change up this game. And then I went and looked at his baseball savant page and I was surprised to see the extent to which he's become not just fastball dominant, but basically just like not really throwing his change up that much anymore at all. So here's an example. So 2018 was his, his like his best year to date. That was his like first Cy Young season, 1.7 OERA. He was incredible. That year he threw his fastball 43% of his time, 43% of the time, four-seamer that is, slider 24 Changeup 16, uh two seam or sinker 9%, and curveball 8%. So he's basically a five-pitch pitcher in 2018. That was not that long ago. Um, and that was his his best season, right? In 2021, he's throwing his fastball 63% of the time, his slider 26% of the time, his changeup 10% of the time. And that's basically it. He's not he has not thrown a sinker once. He's thrown three curveballs all season, and all of them have come in his last two starts. And if you watched him like recently, not only he only he's like is he throwing basically almost just two pitches, his four seam and his his slider, it's almost entirely to his glove side. So basically, like low and inside to lefties, and low and outside to righties. It's like, but the command is so incredible, and the velocity and late movement on the slider and fastball are so good that it almost doesn't matter that he's basically just throwing two pitches and then like once in a while he'll throw in a changeup just to keep you a little bit off balance to me it's just like it's incredible to see usually what happens with a pitcher when they get older right they lose velocity and they add pitches they become more crafty you saw like Pedro Martinez did this Felix Felix Hernandez did this pitchers who were like when they were young could throw 98 but as they got older had to become a little more crafty especially more reliant on their breaking stuff and off speed stuff and he's kind of the opposite he's just like leaning in to the velocity, and it's
1: kind of incredible. I have seen a couple of baseball people say, you know, Jacob deGrom's got a really good curveball. He's thrown it three times this year because he's never needed to bother to. Uh, Marcus Stroman tweeted the other day, what Jacob deGrom has been doing is nothing short of legendary. Everyone around the league is in awe when he touches the mound, truly the goat of this generation in my eyes. Most humble, chill, approachable dude off the field, killer on the mound, thankful to learn from him daily. And Marcus Stroman, I think, is prone to like, you know, Positive things on Twitter, and obviously that's his teammate, and I, I totally get that. But also, I don't think I could disagree with a single word of that. Like, I, I'm all in on the Jacob DeGrom as a Hall of Famer discussion. I, if he wins the side this year, that's three, and that's like guaranteed. Even if he doesn't, like, let's say Burns wins it, I, I there are very few times I can think of such dominance like this. Like, this is Pedro 99 or Randy Johnson 2000, you know, or, or Kershaw 14. Uh, Kofax in the sixties, like that's what this is. It, it is. It, I know that we're living like in this high dominance pitching era. This is something else.
2: And Mike, you know what's cool is that you and I will both be Hall of Fame voters by the time Degrom comes up. So it'll we will actually have a, a say in, the, in that in that in his candidacy. One thing I, last thing I'll mention, Degrom is pitching Friday night. Uh, against the Padres, this time at City Field. The game is at seven o'clock and it is going to be the MLB Network showcase game. So even if you are not in New York or San Diego, you can watch it. It is also the MLB.com, MLB.tv free game of the day. So again, so if you are not in, in uh, one of those local markets, you can stream that game for free. Jacob deGrom and the Mets, Fernando Tatis and the Padres. I mean, what's better than that than that for Friday night?
1: Well, I was going to watch it on TV, and now I'm thinking about whether I should get myself up to Queens <laughs> actually go see this in person, because um, that sounds pretty good. We will take a quick break, and we will come back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast.
3: This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com.
1: We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast each week. Matt and I like to highlight some under the radar players. My first guy, I have to apologize a little bit, is not necessarily under the radar. Is probably going to start the All Star game, but I feel like we needed to talk about him just because we haven't yet. Cedric Mullins, Baltimore outfielder, is really interesting. He uh, right now is uh, hitting three twenty three, three ninety two, five thirty six. So he's hitting fifty 50- cent. 57% better than average. He leads the majors in hits and he has the second best outs above average in the outfield. Like he's been a really good guy and he's had an interesting path. He was a 13th round pick by the Orioles in 2015 from Campbell U. Go fighting camels. That's a real thing. They are the camels. That's awesome. And he wasn't like a totally out of nowhere guy. Like if you look back at MLB pipelines, Orioles prospect list entering 2017, he was number five guy. It was just pretty good. Made his debut in 18 was actually the opening day center fielder for Baltimore in 2019, but not so good. I got into 115 games over 2018 through 2020 and had a 73 OPS plus. And I vaguely remember noticing last year, he led the majors in bunt hits, which is like, okay, cool. Um, But over this last winter, he came into the season and he gave up switch hitting. He decided to hit lefty only and this goes back to the Buck Showalter days in Baltimore that he'd been talking about it. And this year he decided to do it. The results have been fantastic. Like I said, he's been hitting the ball well, he's a really good outfielder, and he's only 26 years old. You know, he turns 27 in October, and it feels like the Orioles have somewhat turned the corner in a sense. I know they had that long losing streak, um, but I, I noticed that Baseball America the other day came out with some new rankings. So the Orioles have the number one pitching prospect in baseball and the number one catching prospect in baseball. And Mullins looks like he might be a real guy. John Means looks like he might be a real guy. And if you look at the potential All Star game roster, well, Means is hurt. So I don't know if he's going to come back and be able to make it. Trey Mancini is a great story, but. Is he a first base? I don't know. Like, they're Vladimir Guerrero and Julie Guriel and Matt Olson. Is he a DH? Well, okay, but J.D. Martinez and Otani and Yermin and Jordan Alvarez. And if you look at the outfield, Trout's hurt. Buxton's hurt. Laureano's hurt. Aaron Judge will definitely make it. And then it's like Dallas Garcia, Michaniger, Meadows, Marquena, like Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, I think Mullins is going to make the all-star team. He might even start the all-star team. For an Orioles team that is like finally, maybe possibly coming out of the wilderness, this is this is what you need. Not just like your number one overall picks. You need guys to get better internally. And he might be one of those guys.
2: Yeah, and I've heard, you know, there's been some like, oh, maybe the Orioles would trade him, but he's like four years from free agency. And like I think that like he's young enough and and good enough that like you you'd want to sort of have him part of like, you know, it's you know, I'm not sure he's part of the next playoff team, but he might be. And like there's no compelling reason right now to to trade him considering that like, you know, you, you might just be like riding the wave of his prime. And like, as some of these, these, these prospects come up, you know, like he could be like a, a centerpiece on a team that starts contending, um, if not for the division, but maybe for a, for a wild card in a couple of years.
1: I'm with you. I don't think they'll trade him. All
2: right. Um, uh, my guy this week is, uh, Tigers catcher, Eric Haas. Um, which looks like it may be pronounced Hasi, but it's Hoss. Thanks, Mike, for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who's was called up on May 21st and has been... Kind of on fire and is like a fun story. And I just wanted to talk about him. You know, last week, um, Patrick Wisdom won Player of the Week uh, for the Cubs, who's it's kind of a similar profile out of nowhere guy. And I sort of feel like maybe we need to talk about it, about uh, Eric Haas. He is hitting 274, 329, 671 with eight home runs, but six of those home runs have come in June. We're recording this on June 10th, and he already has six home runs. He was called up on May 12th when Grayson Griner hit the aisle with a strained left hamstring. Um, he was hitting, you know, not, he had a 921 OPS in AAA at the time. So, you know, I guess they're like, oh, he's hitting well. Let's, let's bring him up. Here's a fun fact for you. He, according to baseball reference, he has a career war of 0.7. And his 2021 war is 1.2. So he entered the year with negative point, 0.5 war. And he's already put himself into the black um, on that. Um, he strikes out a lot and doesn't walk a ton. So he kind of has a little bit of like the Mike Zunino profile, and if you look at the the barrels per plate appearance leaderboard, he is seventh um, minimum twenty five balls in play, right behind Mike Zunino. So it is a very fitting uh, uh, profile. He actually originally was drafted by the Indians in the seventh round of the two thousand eleven draft out of high school in Dearborn, Michigan. So he is a a local guy. So it's you know he's having his breakout with the Tigers, which is which is cool. Um, fun thing I noticed is that the the Indians first round pick that year in two thousand eleven was in 2011 was Francisco Lindor and none of the players picked in round two through six made the major leagues. But then you have Eric Haas in the seventh round who is now making a name for himself. He was purchased um, from the Indians in January of 2020 and then the pandemic hit and he didn't really get to connect with any of his teammates, but um, he and Matt, he was Matthew Boyd's throwing partner during the, during the shutdown uh, last spring. And uh, he was the only person that, uh, Matthew Boyd through BP2 for a while. Um, here's some, from a story from Jason Beck the other day. He said Haas and Boyd could be spotted around area parks playing catch in Detroit since Comerica Park was closed. When they regained access to Comerica, Haas became Boyd's live hitter for batting practice, facing off for as many as 18 at bats at a time. Um, so it'd be fun to see if, if they ever switch teams and he faces Matthew Boyd in a, in a real game. Uh, anyway it 's just cool to see these guys random random guys. This might be it. This might be his you know kind of chris Shelton moment, but it 's you know for teams like the Tigers, where not a ton of interesting stuff is going on it 's always uh uh cool when when players like this emerge, especially when they 're a hometown guy.
1: I always love it when the hometown guy comes up. I was trying to remember why I remembered his name and I looked back. And he had gotten a decent amount of play in 2017. So he was at A ball, excuse me, double A AA and triple A for Cleveland that year. Only 389 plate appearances, 27 homers, and had a 930 OPS. And I remember him getting written about, like, hey, this, this guy might be a bat. Cleveland gave him all of 34 plate appearances to prove it. Now, obviously, Roberto Perez is a pretty good catcher for them. But, you know, that's for a team always desperate for offense. You'd think they could have given him a little bit of a better shot. And I agree with you. I don't know that this is a long term thing. But I, it's cool because obviously the Tigers need some bats. But anytime you have the hometown guy doing it, that's like that's extra fun. You know what that reminds me of? Totally unrelated. Brandon Crawford just set the Giants' all-time record for games played, and he grew up in San Francisco as a Giants fan. There's like there's pictures of him at the ballpark, (laughs) at the stick when he was young. Uh, That I just think that's cool. That is, is it is awesome. We're gonna finish up with our purpose pitch. This is where we rant and rave, and I've been waiting for this one for a minute. Listen. The substances and the spin rates and this is like a whole thing that's gonna consume baseball for a while. And you know, everyone's got lots of opinions of how how is this being handled? Should this happen now? What are the right ways to do it, et cetera, et cetera? That's like a much bigger topic that I'm not looking to get into right this second. Here's the thing. Everybody thinks now that they are like, like a detective of spin rates. You know, because this information is all available in real time on Baseball Savant for the last week, every time anybody like mildly interesting is pitched, you see people tweeting screenshots and say, "Wow, well, uh, his his spin is down. He he must have been caught cheating." And it's like I'm pulling my hair out here because nobody understands the context of any of this. Here's three important points. Right, the first thing is spin rates matter in large quantities. Twenty RPMs, literally nothing. Fifty nothing 100 maybe you're getting there if spin has not gone up or down by at least 100 ignore it and anybody says that it matters the second thing is for a pitcher spin rates are highly correlated with velocity so if someone's throwing harder their spin rate might go up if they're throwing more softly spin rate might go down they have to look at those things uh in concert and the third thing is as much as i love the hawkeye tracking system that powers stack s it is not perfect you know if you have one badly tracked spin pitch that has like the, a very wonky low spin, especially like in the second inning of a game, that can really screw a guy's average until it's fixed. Or maybe you'll have someone throwing a little slower than usual and it fools the system into thinking as four seamers, maybe it's change up and that'll get fixed, but in real time, maybe not. So no one is going to like crack the case of the you know missing spin rate because you can take screenshots of baseball savant. And it's not just fans. I've seen media members who should really know better. There was a <laughs> like a radio host in LA was saying, well, the Dodgers have the highest spin rate increase, so they must be cheating. And it's like, okay, dude, but they also traded for side Trevor Bauer and cut loose like three low spin guys. I'm not saying none of this is happening. It's clearly happening, but we we don't have to like, invent ways to try to find things when there are things there just understand like the most mild amount of context before we go off on these witch hunts
2: exactly because teams now self-select players for spin rates. right <laughs> so it's like oh like if a team if a team was like oh they just you know they're they're stealing more bases like they must be cheating it's like no maybe they just signed a bunch of speedsters or you know they're throwing harder it's like maybe they just signed a bunch of hard throwing guys like you can't just assume that because like, it went up that there's some sort of like something nefarious going
1: on. And to be clear, I'm not, I'm not saying none of this is happening. Like it's clearly happening, but just because you have the most spin does not mean that's what's happening. Totally. I mean, the whole thing in many ways actually
2: does kind of remind me of what happened with, with PEDs where it like lurked for a long time. And then the players start speaking up about it. And that sort of was like what created the sea change. And like, I'm not necessarily sure that's a bad thing. Like there just seems to be like the players have sort of finally been like, Hey, like this has become a problem and we need to figure it out. And I think that like, hopefully there will be some sort of, um, you know, some sort of solution that can sort of crack down on this. One thing I will say though is that, like, as kind of is to be expected, offense has been going up as the weather gets warmer. Oh, <laughs> so like, yeah, a, a lot of the like, you know, the hand wringing from April. It's like it's also we forget that like offense is always lower in April, and that you know I you know I, I checked in like March April the the leagues weighted on base was like three oh six, but over the last thirty days it's like three fifteen. So like it's It's, 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 it's moving up a little bit. And I think that like some of the conversation, you know, it's not going to change the conversation because obviously this is something that needs to be addressed because it is happening. Um, But uh, some of the concerns may have, I don't want to say overwrought, but just like we're already seeing the shift in like the natural, like, you know, uh, in the in the, the run scoring uh, environment as, as, the, as the weather gets warmer.
1: Yeah. Can I just add a very quick secondary rant on this topic here? Um, I've seen people say, well, this has been happening for years and years and years. Like, why are we caring about this now? I'm not actually saying I would have handled it exactly the same way that it's been handled. I, I would have some differing opinions on that. But as far as that, like, okay, for 80 years, they're using pine tar and, and rosin. And now we've got like actual chemists in labs cooking stuff up. And over the, like, why has it changed over the last couple of years? Partially because everybody understands how important spin rate is now. Not that like you couldn't eyeball this years ago and say, oh, that curveball moves a lot. But now you can measure it and say, oh, if I can up my spin by 300 RPMs, that, that might get me more strikeouts. Like Things have changed over the last couple of years. This is an old problem that has really like ramped up over the last two or three years. So why is it different now? That is why it's different now.
2: Well said. All right. My rant, and uh, I'll keep this quick. You might have seen on Monday night, there were actually two sons of former big leaguers who missed bases on, yeah. on home <laughs> runs, <laughs> which was like one of the weirdest things ever. One of which was um, Cobrian Hayes for the Pirates, which was actually kind of obvious and it was visible on replays. So there wasn't really anything you could say about it, although I felt bad for him because like the only reason he missed the base is because like – the ball climbed back on the field off the foul pole. And it was unclear if it was a home run or if he would have to r- sprint. Like if he knew it was a home run all the way, he never would have missed the base. So I sort of felt bad for him. It was kind of a weird one. But in the minors, a ridiculous one happened where Bobby Wood Jr. hit his second home run of the game, the Royals prospect playing uh, in double A for Northwest Arkansas. And as he was, you know, coming across home plate, he tried to do – he did like his little like shimmy, like, you know, across home plate, which I have no problem with. Hey, celebrate home runs. Home runs are fun. And the catcher pointed out, hey, maybe he missed home plate and they appealed and the umpire called him out for missing home plate. Beyond the fact that like on other angles, it looks like he might have actually touched home plate. It was just absolutely ridiculous. Like, there's no reason the umpire should insert themselves in their game right there. It like doesn't matter, like if he may or may not have like slightly missed home plate. It wasn't like a bang bang plate the plate where they're trying to tag him where actually touching home plate is like changes the, the context of the moment and the play. This was a home run hit 440 feet and there's like nothing worse than when officials in any sports will like unnecessarily insert themselves into the game when they don't have to. Like, I don't care if he may have like not, if he might have missed the plate by like a fraction of an inch. Like, it's ridiculous. It shouldn't have happened. Um, that's all I'd say about that.
1: Oh, I, I don't want to be a total buzzkill here, but like, that's the rule. You got to touch. The, let me ask you this Did it change the context of anything that could Brian Hayes didn't touch first base? Like, but you still got to call him out. I mean, that's I, I I think that one is I almost put it in a wholly separate category because it was like so weird and
2: I felt bad for him. Like, yes, you had to call him out because he, the video was there. He clearly missed it. But like, I also think that he kind of got screwed because if the umpire just ruled home run, he would have he would have obviously touched the base. He was confused because he was like, Oh, do I have to sprint now? Um that one is like a whole weirdness one. Like the the Bobby Way Jr. one was like, he's just running the bases. It was a home run. There's no dispute. Like it was just it was just silly. Not to mention the fact that he looks like he actually touched the plate.
1: Well, it's funny. I, I saw like the primary angle. Everybody saw it. It definitely looked like he touched home plate and everybody lost their minds. And then I saw someone tweet a secondary angle where it's like, I'm not so sure he actually touched home plate. You know what the funniest thing about the Cabrian Hayes one was to me? Imagine the best player on the team hitting a home run, missing first base and getting the home run called back and not having it even be the weirdest first base related thing on your team in the last three weeks. <laughs> because of because of the whole Will Craig, Javier Baez incident. Um, and by the way, Will Craig got DFA'd not long after that. So remember to touch first base whenever you possibly can on offense or defense. That is the first rule of baseball. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast.
0: We will see you next week. Go to getroman.com/mlB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's getroman.com/mlb getroman.com/MLB.